You know, I've been wearing these headphones for long enough. I got like the tentacles down of my hair. You know, <laughs> I heard someone call this a tentacle and I was like, I love that. <laughs> you got hair tentacles. You got the tentacles moving for. Yeah. yeah. You figured out how to get them like. See, I could never do that with my hair. It's either like extremely flat and, you know, I look like the girl from the Adams family. <laughs> Wednesday Adams. Yes, I look like Wednesday. Or or I put my hair back and, you know, bald is beautiful, but not on this head. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm with you, girl. I got a big noggin under here. Yes. Very I've got like six noggin. head. You know what I mean? It's not four head. It's not five head. It's like eight head. So interviewing somebody that I have admired in the cryptocurrency space for a very long time today. Mm. Kind of an expert. One of the people that originally introduced me to everything, she and I sat down on a Zoom call and like at the time I was just in Bitcoin and she was like, sister, here are eight different articles that I want you to think about. Here's something on DAOs. Here's something on this. And she was just totally open to all the questions that I asked. So I knew that I wanted her on the podcast. Mm. I don't even know how to fully introduce her. Like, I'm not going to do it justice. I've seen her articles in TechCrunch, in Playboy, in every major news article that has let her write something. And the fact that she focuses on things that are controversial, like sex work, like turmoil in other countries that that are frankly dangerous and she was there writing about them and now to be like a superstar in the crypto space. Lee is a friend of mine and also someone I'm excited to talk about, Meg. I mean, I don't know. Are you ready? I am. I'm really excited about her background because I did obviously read up on her a little bit and I think it's so amazing that you can get someone that's so articulate and can write things and break it down for people into the space that is very intimidating. And so... I'm excited to talk to her. I think she's going to be a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syra Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by Stockwitz. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no-shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. Hey team, we are here today interviewing the wonderful Lee Quinn, who is the co-founder of both the Association of Cryptocurrency Journalists and Researchers, in addition to being the co-founder of Defemme Magazine, which is out in December. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you, Lee. Also, your name kind of sounds like a superhero. Do you get that a lot? Like Lee Quinn. I'm like, that's cool. All right, cool. I'm going to dive right into our questions. This is a series all about cryptocurrency, and you are the crypto queen. So thank you for being here. All right. So we ask everybody this, but I want to know yours. In our mind, every woman we interview is a heroine in their own regard. So we would love to know what has been your heroine's journey thus far? Yeah, I saw that question. I'm really fascinated by it. I don't know how to answer it. How do other people describe themselves as a heroine? I'm like a person who's been doing a lot of things. I guess depending on what aspect you would focus on would be like what you would consider like the high point, the low point, the point of trying to get back. Yeah, absolutely. The story you would tell people like, this is where I came from. This is what I do. And this is what I'm passionate about. That's how people answer it. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Okay. So then I guess I'm originally from California. I'm a writer. I was extremely lucky to work in print newspapers after I even graduated from college. Then I went to the Middle East, lived there for five years, worked there, really fell in love. Came back to New York, literally with two suitcases, being offered a job as a sex writer and worked in New York for almost five years. That was when I kind of tumbled down the rabbit hole to learn about cryptocurrency. 2017 is when I went full time into covering this space. During the pandemic, like a lot of people at the time, I was like a staff reporter living in Manhattan had a very stable situation and decided to just rip everything apart and turn it upside down and rebuild my life. And now very happily as she mentioned, co-founders of two different organizations, one that's nonprofit, one that is a hybrid DAO, creating media particularly for women who are crypto curious. And I've been incredibly lucky to, along the way, write in a lot of different styles and do a lot of different very cool things. And I'm constantly learning. And I'm very, generally very bad at tech, which is how it is or why it is, I guess, people enjoy reading my writing about it because maybe they can relate if it frustrates them too. I love that. You're part of what the New York Times calls the great resignation. Do you take that with like a badge of honor? Like, I love that article. (laughs) I did like the article a lot. I work actually just as hard as I did before when I was on staff. I just earn a lot less money for it. So I don't know if I resigned as much as I've just like actively chosen that earning less money but dealing with less bullshit is the trade-off I'm willing to make. I love that. I read the article too and I was like, oh my God, not everyone... One, you know, I don't have an original thought because other people feel this way, you know, after I read that article. And two, I was like, I think it's time to make a change. So I feel for you, but I love what you're doing. And I think it's super awesome. You know, size kind of leading the way here for me on financial education all up. And this is our, our series into all things crypto, which like you, I'm, you know, I'm not a tech lady, even though I might work for a tech company, but I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Not a clue. (laughs) The thing I realized is actually people who think they are really good at it usually aren't. Like we're all honest with ourselves and there's a lot more people who maybe aren't good at judging how how good they are. But this is tricky stuff that we're all figuring out as we go, regardless of what it is you're coming in with. Thank God somebody's saying it right. Like I always feel like the dumbest person in the room when I'm sitting there asking questions because nobody else wants to. But I mean, really and truly, there's so many of us that are just learning crashing into a wall or paying gas fees for a transaction they weren't supposed to actually transact on like more of that needs to be said like we're all making mistakes and literally making it up as we go along but yes for sure so lee i think you kind of touched on it and i'm i want to double click on it a little bit further what was your tipping point what made you want to go knee deep into crypto and commit yourself to trying out DayFem, doing everything that you're doing right now between the two entities you're co-founding? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I've had a background in reporting from before. I'd done politics, I'd done culture, and particularly some thorny issues, You know, whether it's around sex reporting or whether it's around the Israeli-Palestinian conflict issues where there's a lot of, they're considered very sexy topics. There's always news about them, but it's actually really tricky and difficult and people get mad at you when you get any little thing wrong. So you have to be particular about your fact checking. So when I went into crypto, I'd never been a tech reporter before, but that similarity of like a controversial topic that's really difficult to fact check, I was something that I was familiar with. And 
something that I like that's really different about those topics is what a direct impact you can have on your readers, how you can see, like you watch people learning, you watch things becoming more common everyday vernacular. You watch things become better in terms of the products as they get more feedback, as they have better understanding of their user base. So the impact you can have through this kind of writing is just so much more direct that I think that was my tipping point when I saw that in 2017 that I was like, oh, wow, people actually like make life changing decisions based on that's a lot of responsibility. But it also it's really rewarding when you get like a letter from a reader who's, you know, had that light bulb turn on for themselves. So can I ask you something? And you said it and it's something I think about a lot. Why do you think crypto is so controversial? I think people get really passionate and cultish about money in ways that they don't identify when it's associated with their nation state, but they might if you were to talk about their baseball collection that they had as a kid or about, you know, their stocks, you know, the reasons why they chose those trades. Like people get very cultish about that. So I think crypto combines the idea of new possibility with something that we're already like invested in heavily and that just makes our brains go. <laughs> so true (laughs) (laughs) right like you get more emotional like more excited more upset when things happen as if you're on this grand stage participating in this great play of history and this is your moment and these are the risks that you've taken so every time you know you get more excited i totally get why readers you know are very vocal about this kind of content because it means so much to them do you think you know the hype has heightened because of the pandemic because we're all kind of sitting at home i mean like i'm in my bedroom you know chilling yeah 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 I do think that as we become more isolated, the, the communities we've made online, they mean more to us. Like they're the friendships that we've probably made over the past two years. Those are the people we've been spending our time with over the past two years. And then also it's changed a lot of people's financial situation, right? So there's a combination of factors that took something that was already pretty emotional and intense and made it even more emotional and intense. That makes a lot of sense. Focal point on this episode specifically is for Dowsley. So can you explain to me, like I'm five years old, exactly what a DAO is? Yeah. A DAO is any club or group that gets together with a shared wallet. That's like the fundamental concept. A lot of people use different kinds of tools for their multi-sig wallets. A lot of people might you know, distribute the, the access through tokens or whatever it is they do. But on a basic level, all it is is a group of people who have come together to do a specific thing and are sharing the wallet that they're using to allocate the resources to get that thing done. What would be like a real example of that? Oh my gosh, there's like so many real examples of that. Pleaser Dow, as an example, is an art collecting club. Mm. And they all get together and they buy art. That's the thing that they do together with their shared wallet. Friends with Benefits is a crypto social club. What they get together to do is to make media, so that can include newsletters and podcasts, and to throw parties. So they pay into something by buying a token. You do not have to have a token in order to have a DAO. But for some people, that's a fundraising mechanism. So with friends and benefits, you buy in, and then people use that pool to throw parties, make newsletters, whatever it is they want to do with it. So, and this is me kind of diving into recent news. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the Constitution DAO. And to everyone that's listening that doesn't know what happened, the Constitution was attempted to be purchased via DAO because it was up for auction. One of 13 copies of the Constitution was up for sale at a private auction via Sotheby's and sadly was ended up in the hands of the CEO of Citadel, which is ironic in many ways. But so 
Lee, can you step us through the process? So how does the DAO get created? How do people contribute to the DAO? And then how how does that turn into a project like Constitution DAO? Yeah. So to be clear, I wasn't involved with the Constitution DAO, so this is going to be very over high view. But in general, someone thought to themselves, we want to purchase this thing. And they probably talked about it in their group chats with their friends who also owned cryptocurrency and tweeted about it. And they create like a fund that people can contribute to in order to participate in that auction, right? So just like your nephew or your niece who's like, I'm fundraising for my sports club, give money because we want to do this thing together. Very similar concept. Only with Constitution Dow, 17,000 people across the internet raised, I think it was $45 million for participating in this auction. So the scale is much bigger than your nephew when he's crowdfunding for his sports team, but very similar concept. Then they, as the entity, the one wallet, right, that they all share together or that multiple people share. I think in their case, there was like up to a dozen. It wasn't every single person having access to the same wallet. There were elected officials, just the same way that in our government we have, you know, the electoral college who might act on our behalf based on what the community votes, right? So we've got 17,000 people who are voting. We want to participate in this auction. We have the small group of key holders who represent them, who are then saying, okay, we'll, we'll give the money to participate in this thing. And then they participate in the auction, just like any company or high net worth individual would. They lost, unfortunately. But that actually brings up a really great point that there are some things that DAOs may or not be good for, at least without certain kinds of tools. And when you're participating in a public auction, broadcasting over and over again how much money you can go up to is probably not the best auction strategy. So in the future, maybe DAOs that are participating in auctions would either use some kind of privacy technology or would maybe do it privately. Like there are lots of different ways that DAOs like can be operating in public while still dealing with the fact that as humans, there are some things that are better done in private. So what happens to the $45 million? Does everyone just kind of take their piece and go home? What happens with that? Well, they can't take their piece back. Oh, I mean, they could. It would just be like, you would honestly lose more money with the transaction fees and everything, okay. getting everything back than you would have put it in. So right now they're voting. 17,000 people voting on what they want to do with this money, right? Like, that's exactly the same kind of governance problems that you have with a small town, right? Like, okay, we've got this funding. We've got a lot of different people with a lot of different ideas. It was great when we all had one idea and that was the one thing we agreed to. When that one thing didn't work out, now we have to figure out what other common values do we share as a group. This could be like we bought a zoo. They could go buy a zoo for 40 <laughs> So <laughs> there's a lot of jokes about them going to buy SeaWorld oh. and setting the animals free. Oh. I don't I mean, know how realistic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, SeaWorld Dow. I don't know how realistic and how like sarcastic that is. But just, yeah, just going with your idea. That's exactly what people are thinking about. You could just buy a huge thing and decide to overhaul it. Or donate it to charity is what some other people are arguing for. Yeah. I hmm. I have so many opinions. So a couple of things. I didn't participate in the Constitution now because I took one look at gas fees and I was like, no, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so I want to break it down a little bit further, Lee. So we, we've talked to people now about how wallets work and we've talked to people about cryptocurrency generally. And so in order to participate in a DAO, someone would first have to have their own wallet loaded up with crypto, right? And then take the cryptocurrency convert it into whatever token if they need to convert it into a token in order to participate in the DAO, right? Am I thinking about this correctly? And then they become a DAO voting member. So it's kind of like you have to have ownership in the DAO, right? In order to vote. It's kind of like an HOA. 
So you are describing a system that some people do, and we can get more into detail about that as well. But I just want to be clear that it's actually not required. That was a choice on their part. So for example, if you were to use Bitcoin for a DAO, you would all just have a multi-sig wallet. You would probably want to have a wallet that's unique for that purpose so you didn't mingle it with your own funds. And then all you would need is a hardware wallet and then probably a small amount of money that you would need if you wanted to use transactions or, or anything. But that's it. I mean, a notebook and papers for you to write down your private seeds and your hardware wallet. You do not need to purchase a token. You don't need to know how to stake things. Those are all choices people made because they're generally good for fundraising. But like, so the examples that you're mentioning usually have people who issue a token, which is kind of like their Costco card, only digital. And you buy the Costco card usually for like $8,000 or something like that. They're very expensive. The transaction you do to get it is, as you point out, very expensive. Transaction fees these days are like 90 bucks per transaction. And it could require between two and four transactions just to get your purchase done. You know, so you would need to already have a wallet with ETH in it. You need to then purchase your token and then you probably need to use that token for like the token gated chat group or to like you were saying for voting, you can use your token for voting. So all those different things. So the DAOs that we hear a lot today that are really popular with venture capitalists, there's a huge barrier to entry for anyone who's not already well equipped with money to spend in order just to, to get into the door, but also really familiar with how their wallet works because signing a multi-sig transaction with a Gnosis safe, which is what most people use, is no joke. That is a technical process. And even if you're not signing transactions, but you're just voting, you know, or even just trading to get that original token, you got to go through a few, you know, DEXs, usually Uniswap, you know, and things like that. It, it's it's kind of tricky. So you either have someone who's holding your hand and taking you through it, or you're already a mildly competent engineer. You know, like those are the two <laughs> options <laughs> in terms of participate. So, but here's the thing that's not required. That's not necessary. That just happens to be for these early experiments, how it is they set them up. Now that we're kind of understanding the concept and that the benefits of pooling capital together and voting for them in ways that maybe we hadn't done before, or we had, but, you know, with shareholders and things like that, we can try a lot of other ways that are cheaper and potentially easier or more beneficial for people to participate in similar concepts. I think just because this is what we've seen of DAOs so far doesn't mean that's how they will operate in three to five years. Lee, I think you read my mind because I was about to say, we've talked to other people about crypto too, but I feel like I'm learning a lot from you right now. Like the idea is like, it's a beautiful thing. Crypto, it's decentralized. Everyone can participate. But then I start to hear about other things like, well, here's the DAO and here's all the things. I assume gas fees is like transactional fees. Transaction fees. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and then you do this and that. I'm like, I would make so many missteps and have no crypto and just like take my bag and go home. You know what I mean? So it's good to hear that people are like trial and error. Now let's break it down and make it more available for those that, you know, aren't engineers like myself. They want to participate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, think about it. Instant messaging 20 years ago was not as easy as it is today. We just like pick up your phone and like type, 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 you know? So like things get easier. We simplify the process. We have products and services that kind of facilitate the things that used to have to be done manually. That's kind of the stage that we're at right now with DAOs. So tell us a little bit about your feelings around DAOs. I know you have one as well, right? So how did you arrive at your the type of DAO that you have for your entity? And like, what, what do you think is important right now in the current culture surrounding it? 
Yeah, so I'm a part of two DAOs, actually. The first one is the Komarabi Collective, which is an investment DAO that is focused on investing in women-led projects in the blockchain space. So I just have seen, and I feel like all of us have seen, a lot of really, really smart people maybe don't raise as, I'm not even talking about as much because it doesn't have to be ridiculous, like in terms of like matching numbers, but just like enough, like able to raise all the things that they need just because like maybe they didn't have the same social network going into the race that other people did. There are just so many women that have incredible talent and ideas that I think are being underhyped. So this is an investment club that just like any other investors, it's run by professional investors. Kinjal Shah, for example, is one of them. They go through due diligence, all the things, and then we would just make an investment just like any other angel syndicate group would. So the concept of it being a DAO, the benefits of it are that we like all discuss it. Like you as an investor would probably never like call up your LPs to be like, what did you think of her presentation? I'm not sure if I liked it. You know, you want to present to them as if you've already made this decision. You're like really confident with it, right? And in a DAO process, the entire community that contributed funds to this collective fund talk about the things. What are our challenges? What are our worries? What are the things that excite us about the project? And then vote on whether or not the fund should invest. So that's one thing. There was no token involved, but there were payments into it. And for the other one, the Defam DAO, extremely, extremely like stealth in early stages. Like there's not a ton, like we're not welcoming a bunch of new members right now because we're figuring out how it goes. For that, we're actually using Bitcoin. So we're using a multi-sig Bitcoin wallet. And the thing that I learned from being a part of the Kamarabi Collective, which has like 36-ish, 34-ish people in it, is that only a few of us knew how to operate wallets in order to participate in signing transactions. So if we all can vote, say like, I like this investment, I don't, theoretically, all of us should have the ability to get together to help make the transaction. But only a few of us did. And a lot of people, like we were talking about before, are just like, not only embarrassed, but also like who has the time to be like, actually, I don't know how to use the wallet. Can we like take an hour right now to set that up? So when I made DefemDAO, I think the thing that's the most important is that like our goal, the reason we're staying so small is for everyone to be onboarded with their wallet throughout that year. And like everyone who's participating, they should be able to, if they want to, sign transactions. And that means that there's no one leader of the DAO that can like kick other people out or really influencing more than the other. Because whoever signs the checks makes the rules. So if all of you can sign the same checks, then all of you together have a much more equal footing when it comes to making the rules. I want to join a DAO. This sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Right? What's the vision for Defem? Like as you guys are onboarding, I love the education path. I love like the democratized like lens that you put on it, which just feels good to me. What What are you thinking? Like what's the mission? Yeah. So... We created Defend the Magazine through crowdfunding, and we're able to get everyone in the community, including us people here, to contribute amazing articles, thinking about the same topic for our first issue. The topic is risk, right? So people approach risk in wildly different ways. You know, one woman wrote about reducing the risk of falling behind in her career as she decides to start a family. Another woman writes about reducing tax liability risks when she's dealing with a wide range of assets. So like, Lots of different approaches to risk, I think, all really relevant to our target audience and the idea of just wanting to become more powerful and making choices for yourself. So for that, most people, like, we would get, like, votes. You know, we would talk in the community, be like, oh, who likes the idea of having the cover be this color? You know, or who likes the idea of having this font? But in the end, it was only a few people who were able to make those transactions, right, with the crowdfunded revenue. 
So the idea is to, as we scale, have more and more and more people be able to make those decisions and independently. So like if a group of five people, for example, decide like we really want to have this photographer in the magazine, we just love her work, they can get together and allocate the money without needing to necessarily ask for permission from the editor-in-chief. I definitely do think that it's important to have like constant communication within DAOs, you know, but small groups of people move faster and have less friction. So being able to break down the fund, like as it scales, it becomes more and more specific. Like maybe there's a fund specifically for paying photographers and a fund specifically for the launch party. Right now, we're just starting with a few small funds that we manage together and learning so that everyone will be able to know how to sign transactions and how to create new funds and wallets so that as more capital comes into play, there are more people who actually know how to manage it in a way that's both safe and relatively simple. I feel like applauding, but I know like you shouldn't do that on a podcast, but no, I applaud you and that approach. It's just my mind is blown a little bit. I won't lie because it's kind of a new way to look at business and to, you know, assume positive intent of the people around you that I kind of imagine you're building kind of an employee base in kind of a way. Yeah, in a way. Very cool. I mean, I don't think this is entirely reinventing the wheel. We do have the idea of employee-owned organizations, right? We do have things like boards of advisors. Like we understand the concept of people that are like in charge of different things and owning what they're contributing value to. I think the thing that for me gets really exciting when we apply that to media is the concept that people are perfectly capable of telling their own stories, like giving people the power and resources to make media that represents them and serves their own needs, rather than me as just from my own personal background, like as a journalist thinking like, oh, this is going to get lots of clicks. And that's the measure by which I am judged. If people keep coming back more and more and are getting more and more value, that's also a way for me to measure that isn't necessarily trying to get the most amount of eyeballs. And then when we're serving our own needs, like we're making great content because like we're our target audience. We're doing exactly the things that we need and that we want. So I think it's just very different from seeing like the creator versus the audience versus like together we are making a thing. Hmm. Like curated. Yeah. Like I'm not going to curate the content for you. Curate it yourself because this is a community. Okay. I'm like, totally on board. Now I'm like going to text Sai and be like, what's this DAO situation? (laughs) How do I get on board here? Okay. So I have a confession to make. I feel like I've been confessing a lot lately. This is how I go to church of late anyways. So Lee, you know, I participate in the DayFem Slack. I was supposed to participate in the DAO, but I saw the instructions and I had a panic attack and I didn't execute. (laughs) But like I tried I failed. Oh, on your own. What did you try? Well, which DAO do you want to talk about? Because I got rugged on one. <laughs> I joined I joined one called Shark DAO. Oh, my God. Yeah, which I get sharks back. Those are the tokens that I get. And I get to vote on some NFTs they're collecting, I think. But I don't have any ownership in the NFTs. I just get to vote on what happens to the NFTs. Yeah. And then the one that you were creating, which I was the most excited about, but it was... You keep saying multi-sig wallet, and I actually don't know what that means. But perfect. I can answer this. Just to clarify, when you're talking about the shark dot that you're part of, you probably use MetaMask, right? I used MetaMask into Juicebox. Gotcha. Yes. 
Very but good. I'm afraid okay. to take my tokens out because it says the tokens will burn. And I was like, does that mean I lose my money? <laughs> yeah, that's what it means. That's what that means. But okay. <laughs> by the way, first off, we've just started the small group of five, but you can still later on in the year if you want to join the DAO. We'll have other kinds of workshops. I also had the exact same panic attack. I looked at Electrum and I have this like reaction in my body against everything that it is that's like doing this thing command line, not a thing. So the way that I'm structuring it is that the reason we're like, we only have to wait. The only time limitation is when we get to a group of five, or you can start with four if you wanted, because that's just how many people you want to have at least to start with a small group as opposed to just two. But then we're going to have like lessons. Like I just this past week, we all got together on a call and onboarded onto the wallets together with like a professional person who works at Casa, whose job it is to teach people how to use their wallet. And by the end of it, two of us had the wallets operational and the rest of us understood what it was that we needed to do next. And we'll follow up with one-on-one calls as needed in order to work the wallet. So just so you're clear, this is not like I geniusly figured this out. It is tricky. That's a very normal reaction to feel. I guess your question was about multi-sig wallet, right? So most of these DAOs that we're talking about use something called Gnosis Safe, which is a multi-sig wallet. We're using in Defam, I think Casa uses a version of Electrum, which is a Bitcoin multi-sig wallet. Multi-sig wallet, exactly like it sounds, is a wallet that requires multiple people to sign in order for the transaction to go through. So you can have a two of five, you can have a three of six. So for ours, a three of six, three of the people have to agree and sign off on their individual wallets at home in order for the transaction to go through. And if only two of them do it, the transaction won't work. So that's kind of like a forced democracy. You know, like, okay, we we set the the threshold of this amount of people have to agree. And then when those amount of people agree, even if other people disagree, they can't stop it because they can sign the transaction together, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. So it's actually very similar to traditional finance, where I can't send a wire without my CEO or my COO also signing off on the wire. The money does not get transferred. Totally makes sense. Okay, okay. So multi-sig just means multi-signature. Yeah. Is that what it's short? That's literally it. That's ah, all it means. It's making so much more sense now. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. There's something that goes back to that Dow that was trying to buy a copy of the Constitution that I think is kind of funny yeah. of like multi-signatures because the Constitution has multi... Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, but th- I mean, ex- I-, I love that this point you're bringing up because a lot of people like to think like we've invented something new here. Like this is actually the concept. We're just applying it to different things. Like they did it with paper. We're doing it with computers. Same concept. Multiple people signing off that we agree to a thing in order to transfer value or establish a thing. That's what a multi-sig is. So Lee, what does that mean for the future of DAOs then? Hmm. Hmm. So the reason that when you were signing transactions using bank accounts, the wire wouldn't go through until multiple people sign off is because of liability, right? And moving things from paper to computer does not remove the legal context in which they exist. It's really unclear now what the legal future of DAOs will be. How will this thing be regulated? Because it wasn't, it's not that it's unregulated. It's that it wasn't being paid attention to by regulators. Because before the pandemic, we weren't talking about lots and lots and lots of money and lots of people participating in it. Now we have thousands of people around the world participating in things. I mean, sometimes managing multi-sigs with like $600 million worth of value in it. So now regulators are going to pay attention and it will be very curious to see how it is the movement adjusts in order to make sure that, or hopefully in order to make sure that 
risk and liability are distributed in a more equitable way, as opposed to the DAO participants who already have a lot of resources being able to participate at a higher level than people with lower level of resources who maybe don't have like a lawyer and accountant on staff that can advise them when it is a, buying a token or burning a token is a good idea. These are financial decisions. And so I think the future is still TBD, but there is a really tantalizing possibility that there will be more democratic possibility for people to use different kinds of digital assets than there were in the past. So speaking about the future, what's something that keeps you up at night, you know, that you wake up about the financial system in general, inclusive of crypto? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like the financial system is really in a place that keeps people up at night for sure. I've never been one to be personally concerned or feeling the need to to rant about inflation. And I guess what keeps me up at night is not inflation in particular. It's the concept of, as someone who lived and worked in other countries where I could very clearly see the way that economics impacted people's access. And I'm not even talking about access to like fun stuff. I'm talking to things like water and making sure that your trash actually gets picked up every week and stuff like that. When society starts to break down, a lot of things in life change very quickly. I I guess stay up at night thinking about if that happens in the US, which is where my family lives, like are we well connected enough? Like not that you don't have to be like a crazy prepper or anything, but just I think having like a really good communication and base layer helps if crisis happens. So I think a lot about like okay, does my family understand how their assets are managed, where they are, and like how liquid they are. Because if they don't understand that, they're going to be really surprised if something were to happen. At least if they understand that, they'll be able to problem solve, right? So just, I guess, trying to take an assessment of like, okay, these things I've seen happen in other countries, and I saw how it very dramatically impacted families. Are there ways in my own economic situation that I can be preparing my family for the best possible preparedness, (laughs) if possible? Hmm. I love that. And, you know, you're tangibly doing it, it sounds like, and not just preparing your family, but, you know, preparing others and making sure they're educated and breaking down this vernacular that is so intimidating (laughs) inside of crypto and DAOs. So thank you. I really try. That's what I hope I'm doing. Well, it sounds like you are. And I'm excited about it, too. So you're you're helping me if that helps you (laughs) sleep at night. I'm glad to hear that. Awesome. So Lee, we are asking everyone in this series the same four questions, and I'm just going to start firing away. What advice would you give a friend that is interested in buying crypto? Mm, So I definitely am not a financial expert, but the advice that I usually give my friends is I recommend that they buy a small amount of Bitcoin and then not touch it for a year. If in a year... They still haven't sold it in a panic. They haven't purchased anything else that's not Bitcoin, which is not what I told them to buy. And they haven't lost it. Then we will have another conversation about what I think they can do next. There's a lot of people who it's perfectly okay that this is not for them. They aren't good at managing their own assets. They get really emotional when the market tanks. You have to be ready for that. Crypto is volatile. Crypto is managed by yourself. And if it's not managed by yourself, it's basically buying stocks which can be a very good trade, but you could lose access to it. And it happens for a lot of people. So you have to be comfortable with managing something yourself and managing it through ups and downs. If you can manage to do both of those things, then we talk about if maybe other things might be of interest to you. 
I actually think that is excellent advice. And, you know, interestingly, it's something I share similarly with my friends. It's like, if you can't sit and hold on something, if you had, because I think a lot of the mentality from 2020, especially a lot of my friends were bored at home. They started getting into trading platforms. They started like, you know, I'm going to loosely dub it day trading, but it's not really what they were doing, but they were going in and out quite a bit without fully understanding the impact of what happens to your taxes, among other things. It's a great way to introduce people, specifically with Bitcoin, because honestly, despite its volatility, it's still held value quite well, at least since I've been in it. Perhaps it was significantly more volatile you know, in the earlier part of the 2000s when it first started. But I mean, generally speaking, if you can hold it for a year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's great advice. Thank you. I've found it surprisingly difficult for people. Very few people have passed that mark. I'm trying to do it. I'll talk to you in a year. <laughs> I'll talk to you ah, in a year. I'm yeah. so excited for you. Exactly. Talk to me in a year. And if in a year you still got it, we can talk about like wallets and we can talk about like different options, like fun stuff. I got your number now. <laughs> Next question. What advice would you give someone if they wanted to create an NFT? Ooh. My advice for someone if they want to create an NFT, multiple things. First, I would recommend that they spend a long time thinking about the idea that they want and to time the actual minting of it with relation to gas fees, the transaction fees. Transaction fees goes up and down depending on how much demand there is for it at the time. So, for example, minting at night is probably going to cost less than if you mint like in the middle of the day or something. So minting at a time that minimizes your, your fees is a good general standing point. And the other thing is like an NFT is only as good as what you make it. It's actually not the image. It's how you sell it. It's who is already in your network that is interested in the same thing. So really just thinking about like having fun with it and making sure that like, who are you making this for? And make it for them in like the kookiest way that you want to, because this isn't something that you need to think about as like, there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. There's only like going all in or missing an opportunity. Like go all out, have fun with us. I love hearing that. Megan and I have toyed with the idea of an NFT that has more things curated around it, like more of closer to like the Board Ape Yacht Club, but different, I guess is the best way to put that. So that resonates with me. In addition to the gas fees, I like, you know, they pain me on a multitude of levels, which is why I think I'll start experimenting on different blockchains too. But neither here nor there. Yeah. But the gas fees, it always gets me with the transaction fees. So what about if you had a friend that wanted to start their own cryptocurrency? What advice would you give them? I would tell them that I hope that they spend at least a year researching the literally hundreds of people who have had this exact same idea and most of which that have failed to achieve anything at all. There are some people who have achieved some things. Like I would say that some coins have funded really interesting research. Some coins have funded really interesting fun social clubs. Some coins have funded really great educational opportunities and initiatives. But the vast, 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 just like startups or restaurants, vast majority of them are not going to achieve what you hoped. So try and figure out why the other ones that failed failed so that you can make sure to avoid those things. It's similar to a conversation I had last night with my friends. We were asking each other random questions. And one was, when you buy furniture, do you read all the instructions? And I was the first one to be oh, like, no, I yes. throw them away. Your advice is definitely read the fine print. Re- make sure you understand yeah. the fees, understand whose trial and error and all the stuff. So 
Well, that's because there's no legal risk associated with putting your couch together. <laughs> there is legal risk with issuing a fair. cryptocurrency. That is definitely fair. Definitely <laughs> fair. Okay, last question, which I think you already touched on, but I'm, let's call it out. What advice would you give someone if they wanted to sell their crypto? Mm, I would ask them to please know first why they want to sell. I sell at a loss all the time because I pay my bills and a lot of my earnings are in Bitcoin or in other cryptocurrency. So I like liquidate when I need to for dollars, when I'm like, you know what, I need to pay this medical bill and it would make me feel more comfortable if I didn't take that out of my savings, if I just took out it on my crypto. And I know that that might not be the best financial decision in the world, but like I know that when I'm spending, I'm spending for an emotional reason to feel calm and safe and also a practical reason like a medical bill or something else big unexpected came up you know a car crash something like that if you don't know why it is you're selling you could probably think that you're doing it to make money but that's you're doing it actually out of a place of fear or maybe you're selling because you think that it's dead but that's because you personally have only a perspective on this aspect of the network and aren't thinking about other use cases so just know why you're selling and then then you can make your peace with it and whether or not you made money or lost money you're happy that you had a tool that was useful for this particular use case. I feel like this has been one of the most honest and like thoughtful interviews we've had. We thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for the education, the lesson that you just gave both Megan and I on DAOs. I have one more question for you. If anyone's looking for you or looking for DayFam or looking for any of the things that you do, where can they find you? Yeah, I am all over the internet. So if they're looking for Defem on both Instagram and Twitter, we are Defem Mag. So D-E-S-F-E-M-M-E-S-M-A-G. Also same on Venmo. If they're looking for me personally, I'm L-A underscore underscore. So two underscores. C-U-E-N. So La Quinn. The Quinn is here. And I'm also on Substack just under my name, Lee Quinn. Yeah, that's generally some of the best places to find me. You'll also probably see me around, you know, floating with my TechCrunch articles or my other articles in other magazines. But in general, Twitter, Instagram is also just my name. And Substack, those are the places I'm at. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I hope everybody has an amazing rest of their day. You as well. So I guess I should join a DAO. This is like an exciting time to talk about it. It is an exciting time. This is the first time I saw a DAO really go mainstream. And the technology is strange. It's something that I'm still educating myself on how to use it, how to do things. And Lee has been extremely transparent and super friendly in the things that we've done. I'm also, you know, helping well, helping. She helped me write my first article that will be published for FM and I'm extremely anxious about it but I don't know all of the conversation all of the things she's doing she is the type of advocate that we need in cryptocurrency that is not only educating but really moving the needle forward on things like DAOs like the fact that she's creating a DAO that isn't one that's monetizing through multiple functions because it I'm not sure if you felt the same way I did but when I was trying to ask her questions it sounds like a lot of the DAOs I've participated in are solely for monetization and not as much for not as much for like the educational aspect or really for the people utilizing the DAO, if that makes sense. Yeah. Her perspective was different than what I have read, to tell you the truth. And 
I like it because it brings a sense of community into a space of people that are looking to get educated on a topic. They're looking for, you know, just kind of some community in general. And that's what really excited me about what she's bringing to the table and being kind of a leading force there. So that's really cool. Yeah. We need more people like that. If you are somebody else in that crypto space, ping us because we want to talk. But I, I, yeah, I need Marlies in in my world because she has just, she's like a professor of cryptocurrency and she needs to, she needs to be able to talk more. We need, we just need more of her in the space. Le Quinn. I love that. I'm like, I'm yeah, like superhero. I think I said, I said that during the interview. I was like, (laughs) Le Quinn, like, come on, girl, get a cape. Let's go. No, great episode. I hope everyone enjoyed as much as we did. I am not going to say I love you first because you totally like. <laughs> Are you butt hurt about this? I didn't mean to like turn it yeah, off. I cried in the shower. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry. And I love you. There it is. <laughs> All right, I got to go. <laughs> I love you too. <gasps> How dare you? All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show, follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Wanna Have Funds. Girls just wanna have fun.